So tonight I want to talk to you about our model for ministry that is biblical and how we attempt to minister at Atlanta West with all the human frailty involved in what we do. I want to give a little review and background. Brother Hernandez felt like the Lord gave him three distinct messages, one for each Sunday that he's coming. And I just want to review with you that on August 13th, he talked about our capacity. You know, hear and see. Not all the ground has the same capacity for growth and production. Some is shallow, some is thorny, some is on the wayside, some is good ground. But even good ground produces 30, 60, and 100 fold. And I feel like what God is doing in our church is trying to increase, increase our capacity for God. The problem is not God's ability, it is our capacity. I shared with him after church that Sunday, one of the Psalms of Ascent was sung on their way to church. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. It's kind of a way of saying that God is coming to Jerusalem, but the gates are way too small. And if this great God is going to get in that city, somebody has to enlarge a point of access for the King of glory to come in. So God is attempting to increase our capacity. So we have to shut off some of the noise. told the hyphen group last Wednesday that when you choose to pray, you're choosing to not do something else. The choice to become more spiritual is also a choice to shut off other noise in our life so we have time for God. So let's all increase our capacity for God in our lives. This past Sunday, August 20. Uh, 20th, Brother Hernandez spoke on dwelling in the atmosphere, not just visiting the presence of God. Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. You've heard Psalm 133 a few times in the last 22 years. I love that psalm. It's a psalm God gave me when I was coming here to preach before I was pastor. And he's given it to me as a theme of our church. And I don't want to drill down too deep into that, but we want to do more than just kind of rub up against the presence of God, come to church and feel the presence of the Lord and be spiritual and then walk out the door and be secular. In the month of September, the article will come out this Sunday. We're going to spend some time talking about personal wholeness, which is a component of holiness. We don't want to just be saved, but we want everything God has for us. Increase our capacity, not just bump into an atmosphere of spirituality, but dwell in an atmosphere of the presence of the Lord. Brother Hernandez said the Lord wants to attach a new dimension to this church. Not just, again, something that we experience on Sunday, but something we walk in, a relationship that we continue in. That he wants to open the windows of heaven to this church. Not just a little opportunity. He wants to open a new dimension to our church. So I encourage you to go back and listen to those messages again and again because it is major spiritual surgery on our church. And I believe in tandem with that, if the messages that I preached on August 6th on the symphony of ministry to try to make us aware of the diversity of ministry and I want to commend you on receiving the ministry of a man of God, a person I believe is really a prophet among us, Brother Hernandez. And he mentioned that this past Sunday, that our church was open to him. So I think we got it in our head and in our heart that we are ready for what God wants to say and do. And then on Wednesday, August 9th, I spoke on tuning up the orchestra. You know, the symphony of ministry involves... Every one of us, a gifted church that God has made us. Ephesians chapter 4 addresses this. And this is not my text, but it's part of my message tonight. All of this is. Paul told us to walk worthy of our calling. Live up to what God called you to be. Like Paul saying, I'm trying to apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Jesus Christ. I'm trying to lay hold on the reason he laid hold on me. And Paul said with lowliness, gentleness, 
long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God who is Father of all. He's above all, through all, and in you all. But then he said, you've got this great God. But then to every one of us was grace given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Everyone in the body of Christ was given a gift to function in a meaningful ministry in the body of Christ. And then he tells how it happened. Ephesians 4 and 8. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive. He took what had had us captive for so long. He captured that and he led it captive and he gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended. And you know, he also descended into the lower parts of the earth. And he who descended also ascended into heavens that he might fill all things. He paid the price going low so that he could be all things exalted as Lord in Christ. And he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And their purpose was for the equipping of the saints. The King James says the perfecting of the saints. But God gave the gifts of apostolic ministry to the church to equip or perfect the saints that we all would do the work of the ministry for the edifying or the building up of the body of Christ. Then Paul says in verse 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect or a mature man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. What God is attempting to do by the gifting of ministry and by the giving of gifts to everybody in the church is to get his body to grow up and mature and be like the perfect one, Jesus Christ. And then he said, when that is accomplished in all of us, verse 14, that we should be no longer children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men, the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting. But speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things unto him who is the head, even Christ. Verse 16. For whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth in the body for the edifying of itself in love. So what I believe Brother Hernandez has done is to help us in the spiritual realm, and I believe this is spiritual as well, but want to help us understand what does it mean to have a bigger capacity and what gifting do I have and what does it mean to go to another level or another dimension? God wants His church to grow up and He made this body fitted together like the human body. And I spoke about that a couple weeks ago uh, on tuning up the orchestra. He wants all of us to live like we should, live up to our calling put up with one another, love one another, keep peace in the body of Christ. Don't do anything that stirs it up or kind of, you know, inflames some issue. Amen? We should be, blessed are the peacemakers, right? Not troublemakers. You don't get blessed when you stir up strife. Like someone that wrings the nose and gets blood out of it, Proverbs said. That's what you do when you stir up strife. Let that sink in just a little bit. Not in my notes. We're in a relentless pursuit to be a church that embodies apostolic principles that are in the Bible, practices by the way we do things, and by power. And the reason Brother Hernandez is here is to help us grow in the dimension of the power of God. I know everybody here has heard us say, a place for you. You know, at Atlanta West, there's a place for you. And it goes back to the story of me being a teenager and youth on missions trip in Korea where the Lord spoke to me, you know, it's a big world, and if you want to be involved in my kingdom, there's a place for you. 
really was an accident, not to God, but to me, that that was something I felt when I came here as pastor. To, to make it the model of our ministry that we help people find their place in the body of Christ. Now, every organization has a philosophy by which they operate. It might be a business model, and that may mean different things. Harvard Business Review, you know, if you have a business model, it's what you produce and then how you market it. It's not exactly what we do in the church, but we do have something to offer the world. We didn't pay for it or produce it. Jesus Christ purchased it by His blood on the cross. And we're His ambassadors in the world to help people be reconciled to God. That's what we do. And after they come to the Lord, it's our passion to try to help them grow up in Christ. That's why first Sunday in September we'll start another class of Welcome to the Family. And thank you for helping us invite people, 30 people in that first session a couple weeks ago. That's an important thing about our church. And I thank God for what He is doing here. Amen? So I'd like for you to go with me to the book of Exodus chapter 18. Exodus chapter 18. We have a way of attempting to do ministry at Atlanta West that's really grounded in this Old Testament story and New Testament examples as well. It's fundamental to the way that we see God around here. It's fundamental to the way we see people and the way we see ministry. I believe it is biblical. And Moses, this man of God, learned this model of ministry a very hard way. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering. He came came to visit, okay? Jethro did. He offered a burnt offering with God. And Aaron came and all the elders of Israel, they came and they ate bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. So that's kind of the setting of this story. Jethro is just there. There's already respected elders in Israel. And I really think that Jethro probably came to see his grandkids. I don't think he wanted to see Moses. While he was there though, verse 13 says that Moses sat to judge the people. Everybody noticed that Moses sat and the people stood by Moses from morning until evening. So I don't know, maybe we have it wrong here. Maybe I'm supposed to sit and teach and you're supposed to stand. What's wrong with this picture? (laughs) That's not the model for ministry I want to talk about. From morning until evening. Now, the Jewish day started at about 6 a.m. sunrise, ended at 6 p.m. In John eleven nine, 9, Jesus asked the question, are there not 12 hours in the day? So it's possible that Moses sat and people stood in a long, winding line for 12 hours. Verse 14. And when Moses' father-in-law saw all that he did to the people, (laughs) I like that, saw what he did to the people, he said to Moses, What is this thing that thou doest to the people? Why sittest thou thyself alone, and all the people stand by thee from morning until evening? Jethro saw what Moses was doing to all these people that he was called to lead. And he asked him the question, Why, Moses, why are you doing ministry alone? Why are you doing this by yourself, Moses? Why are you sitting here alone? And why are you making these people stand here all day long? 
try to visualize this. And I kind of wondered if Moses ever finished. Can you imagine like person number 14,238? There's 600,000 men in Israel at the exodus and at the entering in of Canaan, about the same number of men. So estimates go from one and a half to two million people. If Moses only talked to the men, the family heads, that's still 600,000. That's a pretty good-sized church. I wonder, like when Moses was ready to punch the clock and go home, if there were still people standing. Imagine what that did to your attitude. When Moses just walked off and said, well... Got to go. See you in the morning at 6. And then I wondered, how, how sharp do you think Moses was after about the first six hours of hearing problems and disputes and all the issues of his people? I have a feeling after a few hours, Moses kind of dulled down a little bit. Maybe about three in the afternoon, it was like, "Uh uh-huh, no, I'll pray about it. See you tomorrow. Take two aspirin, call me in the morning. There's this huge bottleneck, a ministry bottleneck, that is a hindrance to moving forward. People are standing, Jethro tells them, these people are standing in line all day to get an answer from you. And there's no priority to the line. It's not like going to the emergency room where they do triage and they want to know if you nicked your finger, you're going to die in three minutes. You know, there's no triage to this. Nothing mentioned about that. Just get in line. Whether your family's falling apart, you've got an incurable illness, or you've got a hangnail, you're just in line. A long line. It's like first come, first serve. You know, one guy might be having trouble with his goat. Another with his kid, another with his nag, another with his wife. Those are not the same thing. Maybe. One has leprosy, another's got cancer. One's depressed. A lot of them have sinned. Some of them have got disputes with their neighbors, and I mean they've got issues, right? They've got issues. And their lives have become convoluted and complicated. And, and it's, man, you, the only way to get help is to get an audience with Moses. Now, there already are elders in Israel, recognized elders, because Jethro ate dinner with them, sacrificed with them. So Jethro says, Moses, why? Why are you doing this to the people? You're sitting there standing all day long. And Moses tells his father-in-law this in verse 15. Because the people come unto me to inquire of God. Now this is before the giving of the law, which just happens in chapter 20. But even then, I mean, it was tables of stone. They didn't have their own personal copy of what God said. They've got one spiritual leader... And it's pretty obvious that Moses does not expect them to pray or work out their own issues. And they don't really want to pray. We see that a lot. We don't want to pray. You go up in the mountain, figure out what God wants, and come back and tell us. We do not want to go up there. We're going to die if we do. That's kind of the idea, right? You know, you Bible readers know. So the Moses says, when they have a matter, It doesn't matter if it's a small matter or a big matter. You've got a problem. They come to me and I judge between one and another and I make them know the statutes of God and His laws. Moses said, this is just the way we do it around here. This is how I minister. Now, Moses was not on an ego trip. The Bible says he's the meekest man in the earth. He's a humble man. He's the reluctant leader. He doesn't have confidence he can go to Pharaoh. 
Moses is doing this because he's dutiful. He loves his people. He's a pastor. You remember one time God told Moses, Moses, get out of the way. I'm going to kill them all. Moses says, if you're going to kill them, take me out too. Another time he says, Lord, I can't do this. Kill me. So, I mean, you know, Moses kind of runs the gamut of ministry emotions. One time Moses said, I'm like a nursing mother. I'm supposed to carry all these people from here to Canaan land? It's too heavy for me. Numbers 11 is another similar story about Eldad and Medad. You've heard me preach about a pastor's dream come true. That's later. There are times Moses got angry with the people. I mean, they were grumbly, complaining people. But Moses loved all those rascals and all the good people. And he was just doing his job. He was a very dedicated pastor. He walked with God, talked to God face to face like a man talks to his friend. With all his good intentions, he had an incorrect, a very incompetent model for ministry. Moses had a paradigm for ministry, a way of seeing things that created fatigue for him and frustration for the people. There's not enough of Moses to go around. His ministry model was like this. God, me, them. Okay? One God, one leader, two million people. And they all go through me to get to God. And they all go to me to solve their problems. That's how Moses ministered. Verse 17. Moses' father-in-law said to him, The thing that thou doest is not good. How many of you would agree with that? Especially if you were in the back of the line. I mean, it would be like, you know, waiting for a deal, the new phone to come out. you got your tent there. You know, you camp all night at where Moses is supposed to come the next morning. Maybe that happened. I can imagine all kinds of things. Verse 18, thou wilt surely wear away. I don't care how spiritual you are, Moses, you can't do this. Both thou and this people that is with you, for this thing is too heavy for you. Thou art not able to perform it thyself alone. This is... An aha moment for Moses. And it ought to be an aha moment for everybody who's ever tried to be a leader of anybody at all. I want you to just look at this first just a moment. You're going to wear away. And not only you, but these people are going to wear away. Now, there's two million of them, one of you. If you wear away and die, they'll just get another leader. We sure loved old Moses. We killed him, but we loved him. Really, Moses would have killed himself by his model for ministry. So, it's not good for Moses, but it's not good for the people. And I don't believe that this passage is about Moses. It's about ministry. And I don't believe that God gave the church to the ministry God gave the ministry to the church to serve the church. I exist for you, not the other way around. But he tells Moses, you're not able to perform it yourself alone. Now Moses, probably in his core, knew that. But he doesn't think he can admit it. You know, you're Moses, the man of God, who talks to God face to face like a man talks to his friend. And you're the guy that's going to go up on the mountain and you can part the Red Sea. I mean, you are Moses. Never been anyone like you till Jesus, the Bible says. A prophet like you will I raise up. And that's how much Moses was like God. So Moses, you're a great man, but you're just one man. And your ministry model is programmed for failure. This is not going to work. Now, 
22 years at Atlanta West this month, August 31st. 39 years of ministry, raised in the church my whole life. So, you know, I try to be an observer of things. Remember when Solomon in Ecclesiastes said, I went to the house of the lazy man, and I watched, and I learned a lesson from that. Some people go through their whole lives, and they never take time to think and observe and learn. They just kind of plow ahead, making one mistake after another, or the same mistake over and over and over. So most, uh, Solomon said, I, I, I watched this lazy man's house. I saw that his fence was broken down and nettles were all grown up and, and I learned a lesson from that. Little slumber, little sleep, little folding of the hands to sleep. Your poverty is going to come on you as a man that travels. He's always gone, always somewhere else. Solomon watched and learned. So years ago, I started watching. I worked in a Bible college for 10 years we had a lot of preacher's kids come to that Bible college. A lot of preacher's kids come to that Bible college. Preacher kid, Brother Dale. And other preacher's kid. So I learned a lot from watching and listening to them. And my pastor's son was a very close friend of mine. And I watched my pastor and I watched a lot of other people. And in eight years in the youth division, I preached in many churches. I, I want to say hundreds, a lot. So I've been able to observe a lot. And my observation is that there are many really good, godly people. Preachers, leaders, pastors. They probably pray more than me and study more than me. They're good, good people. The problem is not with their dedication or their sincerity. Their problem is their model for ministry. There's a lot of churches where the model for ministry is the pastor and his wife until they wear away and we'll go find us another one. That's their model for ministry. It's not evil. It's not insincere. It's just not really biblical. The rate of burnout in the ministry is extremely high. There are books written about this. There's a lot of information. Google it, read it. It might help you understand people in ministry. And not only that, but the rate of growth in churches is pretty low. Monday and Tuesday, we were in district board meetings. And yesterday, I spoke to our Georgia district board about our Georgia harvest and what I feel to emphasize in 2018 about grow. And I talked just a little bit about this, not much. That God called His church to grow. But when I look statistically at our church, we've grown about 300% if you take the latest, greatest attendance since I came. But in 22 years, you think we would grow a lot more than that when there's 5.8 million people in the greater Atlanta area. That doesn't count our daughter churches, so we have nothing to brag about. But the number of churches and the size of churches... I mean, the average size church across denominations in America is about 80 people. You know why it's 80? Because that's about what one man can minister to by himself. Not 600,000. 80, 120, 150. And I'm not here to do a church growth lesson, but you can study that if you would like. But there were elders in Moses' church... They were already there, but they were underutilized. They were fully capable of doing something, but Moses sincerely never asked them. They just got in the same long line with everybody else. The people who finally got to Moses were really proud that they talked to that man of God and they got straight to that top guy. People around here that serve in ministry will tell you that some people who visit our church, especially people who want benevolence money, they want to talk to the pastor. And in our church, that's not even something I do. That was delegated even before my time to someone else, wisely delegated. But in their mind, I want to go straight to Moses. Nobody else will do. And that's how some people are. 
Now I want to make a couple comments. Just for what it's worth, I'm, I'm pretty much a regular guy. Um, nothing really special about me as a person. In Israel, this story I'm talking about tonight is not about me. Just like this story wasn't about Moses. It is about our mindset and our model for ministry. But it's important that we understand this so we get why we do what we do around here at this local church and for all of us who are leading this ministry, and I don't lead it alone, to do a better job. And for people who are called of God to step up to the plate, stand in their place of ministry. So anyway, I know God loved Moses. He, if you oppose Moses, you pay dearly. I mean, Mary and his sister gets leprosy for talking against her brother. This never happened to my sister. I, you know, I would probably be the one, I would probably be the one to get leprosy, not Sister Cooper. Korah and his kin, earth opens up. Man, don't mess with Moses. I mean, he is, you don't mess with Moses. But Moses never defended himself, God did. But but this is what Jethro says to Moses. Look. You've got to have a better model for ministry. Now, I want to just throw this in too. You know, Jethro came from the outside to visit Moses and his family. I told you he probably came to see the grandkids, maybe his daughter, possibly Moses. Couldn't see Moses except after six, you know. He was busy all day. But Jethro could clearly see something that Moses could not see. And I want to just say this. We believe around here in getting fresh eyes. And that's why every one of us have blind spots in our personalities. And we need somebody who has permission to speak into our lives. And when Jethro said this to Moses, Moses didn't jump back and say, get him, God, you know, zap my father-in-law. Moses was a humble man. He listened to Jethro. And he clearly could see. Moses is like, you know that expression, he couldn't see the forest for the trees. That's Moses. And I really think he was so exhausted from doing the same old thing, the same wrong way, day after day, every 12-hour day, that he was just kind of stuck in a rut, and he couldn't see his way out of it. And he was going to wear away. Now, this is what Jethro tells him to do, verse 19. Hearken to my voice, I'll give you counsel, and God will be with you. Be thou for the people to Godward. You got that part right, Moses. And that thou mayest bring the causes to God. Thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws. Thou shalt show them the way wherein they must walk and the work that they must do. Sounds a lot like Ephesians 4.12. Jethro says, Moses, listen to me. I'm going to give you some advice and God will help you change. First of all, Moses, I want you to keep being a man of prayer. Don't quit praying, Moses. You need to be the guy that really goes to God. You're you're God's leader, and you need to be a man of prayer. So keep doing that. You be a representative to God and carry the causes to God. Don't change that. But then he said, Moses, I want you to be a teacher. I want you to teach ordinances and laws. That's why God has you here. You're standing there 12 hours a day. You're not studying much. There's not much left of you to study in the wee hours of the morning by candlelight, Moses. You need to be a praying man. You need to be a studious man so you can teach the laws and the ordinances. They're not even really given yet. That's what you're going to do. I mean, Moses knew some things before the Ten Commandments were given. And then he said, I want you to show the people by your example and by your teaching how they must walk. How teach them how to live, Moses. <clears throat> they need to see how you live and they need to hear you teach how to live so that they'll know how to walk, how to live. Then Moses, I want you to show the people and I want you to teach the people the work that they must do. This sounds so much like Ephesians 4 that I can barely keep from going back there. So Moses, be a man of prayer. Moses, be a teaching man. 
And here's what I want you to teach the people. Teach them principles about how to walk and how to work. Because they've got a way that they need to walk. And everybody here, Moses, has a work that they're supposed to do. And then verse 21. Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people able men, such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness, and and place such over them to be rulers of thousands and rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, rulers of ten. This sounds like a really good organization, whether it's in a business or in the military or in the church. That's what he tells them to do. And he gives them three qualifications. They need to be fear, people who fear God, spiritual men. They need to be men of truth, honest men. They need to be men that cannot be bribed. They hate covetousness. So the kind of people you need to get, Moses, are men like that. It sounds a lot like Acts 6 and 3, where the apostles said, Look out among you seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom that we may appoint over this business. That's later in my notes with no intention of getting to Acts 6 tonight. This is like a span of command. Verse 21, able men, men of truth. Now, I want you to notice that Moses is to place them over the people. As God's man, he's supposed to give them authority. So they're going to rule and some are going to be over thousands and some over hundreds, some over fifties and some over tens. In this paradigm, in this model for ministry, Some of them might have said, you know, Moses, when you created this organization, you put Reuben over thousands. And you told me that I could only be over tens. That's not fair. Probably not. Ministry is not fair. There are five, two, and one talent people. And I've learned that if you'll be faithful over a few things, he'll make you ruler over many things. And if you can't be faithful in that which is little, who's going to let you be have more to see if you'll take a risk? They're not going to take a chance on you to have more until you've been faithful in little things. So if you have a small, what you consider to be a small place in the kingdom of God, just be faithful there. I mean, somewhere along the line, the captains over thousands are going to die and somebody's going to get a promotion. So you see how this organization is broken down. Thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And it kind of trickles down. There's a lot of room to grow in this organization. But the ministry load has been broken down. And really, the smallest level is where there's a man that he, all he has to do is minister to ten families. I just thought of this, but when a synagogue was going to start anywhere in the world, a Jewish synagogue... When there were ten families, they could start a synagogue. That was their tradition. Ten families. I can do that. I can work my job and help minister to ten families. Fifty, I've got really five leaders of ten. and Hundreds, I've got a couple. And you see how this span of command, like the military, would be broken down. We don't know all the details of this. This is really all we know. I could take you through some material about... David's organization and Solomon's organization. We don't have time for that tonight. But at a basic level of leadership, there were a whole lot of men that were shouldering the load with Moses so he and the people would not wear away. Verse 22. Let them judge the people at all seasons. And it shall be that every great matter they shall bring to you, but every small matter they shall judge, so shall it be easier for thyself, and they shall bear the burden with thee. Now there's nothing wrong with making it a little easier for yourself, but it's not like Moses doesn't have anything to do. This is not Moses, so Moses can turn into a goof-off. 
This is so Moses can stay in his zone of his calling. Like Acts 6 where the apostle said, it's not really right, it's not proper that we would leave the ministry of the word and prayer to serve tables, to distribute benevolence money. That's why these seven men are chosen in Acts chapter 6. Verse 22, they handle the routine matters. If you the Hebrew words, I was doing some reading after I finished my notes. Kind of implies there's routine matters. You know, there's a lot of things that happen over and over again. Once you set a precedent for how it's handled, it's a routine matter. You don't have to go to Moses to find out how to do the thing that we've already resolved that issue 52 times. And why would you want to wait in line all day to hear Moses tell you the same answer that he's told 5,000 other people in the last few years if you could have somebody else do that? I've learned that in ministry, there's a lot of people, a mature saint can answer almost any question a new believer has. Most of the things that we know, if you actually read your Bible, which I know you do, it sounded a little sarcastic, but if you read your Bible and you pray, you probably don't have to see Moses very often. You're not even in that line, except on rare occasions. And now once Moses creates this model for ministry, You don't even have to see Moses maybe once in your lifetime about something that big. Remember, he has a church of 600,000. That's a different issue, right? It's not in Atlanta West. It's a giant nation. Big problems come to Moses. Small problems handled other ways. And there's room for decision-making. I mean, there's no no like 500-page manual, hangnails, you know, refer to section 5, paragraph 23. There's nothing like that here. Marriage trouble, I mean, they're, they're going to be dealt with in principles. This is a skeletal structure for ministry. It's going to be easier for you, Moses. These people are going to bear the burden with you. And your job description, Moses, is now this. Walk with God, teach, show, and handle big problems. That's what I want you to do, Moses. That's your job description. In New Testament, Acts 20, Paul told the Ephesian elders that they're to feed and lead the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseers. Verse 23. Here's the ultimate goal. If if thou shalt do this thing, and God command thee, so he's given Moses room to make sure this is not just Jethro's idea, that God is in this council. Then thou shalt be able to endure, and all this people... Also shall also go to their place in peace. They're going to make it to their home spiritually. They're going to be better off. I've learned in ministry that longevity is priceless. Whatever you want to read, there are some things that only come by being around long enough to really have the trust of people, the wisdom of God in knowing what you're doing. And Jethro says these people are... It's going to be better for the people, Moses. And it's not about you, it's about the health of this nation. It's about these people that are here, right here, Moses, they're here right now. All these elders that you've never asked to help you have got everything they need to help you. They fear God, they hate covetousness, they're men of truth. If you would just ask them, Moses, they're standing by to help you with these people to lift your load. Moses listened and acted, verse 24. So Moses hearkened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he said. Moses chose able men out of Israel and made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties and rulers of tens. And they judged the people at all seasons, the hard causes they brought to Moses, but every small matter they judged themselves. I believe that this is the biblical model for ministry. I told you I could show you David's, you know, I have notes on David's organization and Solomon's. What about Jesus' model for ministry? There are multitudes, and then there are the 70, and there's the 12, and then there's the inner core of three, and then there's John Beloved, the closest human being evidently to Jesus Christ by what we can ascertain from the Scripture. And if you read the story of the feeding of the 5,000, 
Jesus is trying to get the twelve to escape for a little respite because they are exhausted. There's not even enough time to eat. That's how busy they are in ministry. And the people outrun them. They go by boat and the people go on foot. And they're there waiting for Jesus and the disciples. They're there needing more help and more ministry. And so Jesus teaches them and ministers to them all day long. But then at the end of the day, Mark chapter 6 says, when he got ready to feed them, he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to have them sit down by companies on the green grass. And they sat down in ranks by hundreds and fifties. He took the five loaves and the two fishes, looked up to heaven. He blessed and broke them. He gave it to his disciples and they divided it among the people. Now what if there was somebody in the congregation that day, Mark 6, 41, who said, you know what? I am not eating till Jesus hands me my bread and fish. Some of you remember me preaching about this years ago. 5,000 men plus women and children. 10, 15, they had big families back then. 20, 25,000. I mean, this is a huge crowd of people. You could say, well, Jesus was teaching us all day. I mean, I want him to personally feed me. You're going to be waiting a mighty long time. So Jesus is accessible. He teaches, he ministers, he heals the sick, raises the dead. But there are some things one man cannot do by himself. And so Jesus uses this model of ministry to say, hey, look, here's a practical way to get all this supply out to the demand of people who are starving right now. Let's use this model for ministry Let's see if we can't help these people be fed just like Moses helped his people go to their place in peace. If you would, please stand. From day one at Atlanta West, I I started talking about the Atlanta West team. And I said that my model for ministry is the Antioch Church where there were prophets and teachers. And Barnabas wasn't a great man. He was just a good man. And he told the people to cleave to the Lord. Just stick to God. And that church exploded in growth. And it became the place from where missionary journeys took off. It really superseded Jerusalem as a center of revival in the early church. For 22 years, that has been my passion. To not be the lone ranger, the solo, the big kahuna, the main man. That's a terrible model for ministry. I am not the only anointed person here. I'm a a long way from being Moses, by the way. We've got a lot of capable people in our church to teach and preach and lead and counsel and serve in ministry. So that's why we have 301s and that's who are leaders in our church. That's why we have a pastoral staff more than just my wife and me trying to do this. That's why God has blessed this church, not because of my ability, but because of the vision that God gave me for a church of multiple ministries, of strong men and women who have anointings and giftings that are better than mine, that can do things that I cannot do. And my passion is to help people identify where they fit in the body of Christ that through ministry in this church, we would train people and release them for ministry. That's why sometimes in the altar, I'm not trying to see how many people I can lay hands on or I am perceived as the fountain of anointing because it is not that way. Believers shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Believers. I believe in an anointed, gifted body of Christ. I understand a little bit about leadership, not everything. I understand how leadership works. There has to be a leader. But I also believe that leader has to be under authority. And that leader cannot allow insecurity to cause him to be afraid to get out of the way and let other people help lead. I don't believe the biblical model for leadership is one man like Moses 
And everybody else is way down here. I've heard people talk about, you know, people are sheep. Sheep are dumb. That's usually the next thing, you know. We are the sheep of His pasture. For what is work, I'm a sheep. We're all sheep. Not like one smart pastor and a congregation of dumb sheep. We're all sheep. And we're under shepherds trying to help the great chief shepherd lead his church from here to heaven. And the only way it's going to work is if we have a model for ministry. Now I know that everybody sees this, you get this. But when maybe you get directed to someone else or when you're called into service, It's because we believe that God gifted you. So you need to find your place, whether it's a captain over 10, 50, 100, or thousands. Wherever God has gifted you, qualify yourself and serve where God has planted you. If you have a few minutes to gather at the altar, you're welcome to come right now. I would like for you to just make yourself available to the Lord. Really, there's two things about this message. I'd like for you to embrace this model of ministry that we're trying to model at Atlanta West. We're trying to do this. We don't always. I don't always. I don't always, but I'm, we're trying. Just gather real close. So I'd like for you to ask God to help you embrace this, to catch this. As Brother Hernandez says, some things are caught. I've been teaching it, but now you've got to catch it in your spirit. And then I want you to open your heart to the captains over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. And they may be the person who ministers to you or gives you your loaves and fishes on a particular day. Accept and embrace this model for ministry. Then secondly, I'd like to encourage you to find your place in this model so that you can serve with the ministry team of this church to make a difference. Why don't we pray right now? Lord, come to you in Jesus' name, knowing, oh Lord God, that you have given us understanding and principles, oh Lord. I pray in Jesus' name that you would empower the men and women of this church. I pray that you would let there be giftings and anointings imparted, oh God, through apostolic ministry. For my prayer, oh God, is the prayer of Moses in Numbers 11. That other story, Lord God, that there would be mighty anointing that would be multiplied in this church. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray for it. I ask you right now, Lord, to let there be giftings, oh God, that would be imparted to people who are hungry. Let us find our place in the body of Christ. I ask in the name of Jesus Christ, amen.